0: What if everything you thought about SEO was actually wrong? Hi, I'm Jared Krause, host of the Buying Online Businesses podcast, and today I'm speaking with Eli Schwartz, who is the best-selling author of product-led SEO and an SEO expert and consultant with more than a decade of experience working for leading B2B and B2C companies. Eli's strategies have generated millions of dollars in revenue for some of the most influential top websites online. He's helped clients like Shuttershock, Coinbase, WordPress, Blue Nile, Cora and Zendesk executed highly successful global SEO strategies for large brands. Now in this podcast episode, Eli and I talk about what is product led SEO and why you should use product led SEO even if you own a content website and are a blogger. We also talk about how to understand what your actual product is if you don't have an e-commerce business or, you know, affiliate products. How you should be thinking about using and giving the user the most amount of value through your product. We also talk about how you should actually create content, not using SEO tools. In fact, don't use the SEO tools. Don't do keyword research. Save your money and time and instead make a lot more money and traffic without those tools. It's a very eye-opening discussion that Eli and I have. We also talk about why everyone is doing link building wrong and how link building is so 10 years ago uh, and what to think about differently in terms of PR and authority in a different way, not just metrics like DR and different things like that. And then we open up the discussion to talk about the future of SEO and where Eli thinks the future of SEO is going and how Google could get knocked off its perch in the future being from being one of the largest search engines in the world and what there is to come and where he thinks... Uh, we'll be ranking and what we'll be ranking for in the future. Now, this is such a valuable episode, guys. Please understand before you do dive into this episode. This is not the only way that I can help you for free. If you're looking at buying a business, I have my due diligence Framework, which a lot of people have been raving out, raving about. People have used this to save millions of dollars and make millions of dollars and it takes the guesswork out of buying a business. You can get that at buyingonlinebusinesses.com forward slash free resources. There's other awesome resources on that page as well. Now let's dive into one of the most profound SEO podcasts that I have recorded that I know that you're absolutely going to love. Eli, welcome to the Buying Online Businesses podcast.
1: Great to be here. Thank you for having me, Jared
0: i've got so many cool tangents that we can go down uh, around seo today but you talk about product led seo you've got a book as well uh, around it what is product seo uh, i i have a basic feeling of it uh, as you know i've probably um i've researched it a bit uh but yeah i'd love you to explain to everybody listening what what is product led seo and why is it important
1: so the best way of understanding product led seo which is a term i did not invent but I definitely popularized by by writing a book on it. Best way of understanding product-led SEO is to understand what is not product-led SEO. So what is not product-led SEO is the way most websites do SEO today, which is they use a tool, like Ahrefs, SEMrush, Google Keyword Planner, whatever. There's lots of keyword tools out there. They put their primary keyword into that tool it and it gives them a bunch of ideas about other keywords they should focus on. And then they write a bunch of content towards that. Lot of of flaws with that approach towards SEO, but that's the way most people do SEO in general. What product-led SEO is really thinking about who the user is for your business and how they would use search to arrive at your business and to interact with your business and obviously figure out a way to pay your business because this is why we want them to be there. And then to build an entire product offering around that. Common question is, well, there's that doesn't make any sense. There's no product my search users would be looking for. Well, then maybe you shouldn't be doing SEO. So I don't think you should do SEO just because you can, just because it exists, just because a lot of people make money off it. You should do SEO because there was a user at the end of it. And product-led SEO is creating the thing the asset the widget the offering the content the video whatever it is for that audience not because a tool told you that audience uses a certain thing and therefore you're going to maybe even game the search engines but really i'm creating something for that search user that is specifically going to find me from that channel and not any other channel
0: yeah i love it there's so many things just to unpack in here in this talking about not having a product what do you say to people that have a blog and they say look I'm um, well they've got a goal right so their goal is their product i guess would you say that's it like their goal is in that certain niche their product is their goal which is to help people and add value to their life say for example you know fire you know financial independent retire early that niche They might not have an actual product to sell, but they're giving value and information. That's their goal. Would you say that's their their product for a blogger? Because some people listening may be like, oh, I've got like a craft blog, but we don't sell crafts.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Just to be clear, that is the product. So I think for that person, the product is, I understand my user. And really, this is sort of a dirty word when it comes to marketing, but it's an important word when used right, which is personas. I understand my user. So you said fire. Mm -hmm. So who is fire? Well, fire is not a six-year-old because they are not retiring early. Fire is not an 18-year-old because that's ridiculous. Maybe it is an 18-year-old, but it's probably ridiculous anyways. Fire is not someone that is already rich and it's not someone already independent. There's a very specific persona there. And when you do personas, it's not like figuring out the aspects. This is where marketing personas become a dirty word. It's Mm -hmm. not like, oh, they drive this kind of car or they use an iPhone or an Android. None of that stuff matters. It's really like, what does my user look like, and what are they going to want to read? So for that person, their product, of course, is their blog. But what should be defi- like? What should they use to drive the way they talk to that user? It shouldn't be going to Sumrush, putting in the word "fire," which is probably not a great word because you get like fire extinguisher. <laughs> putting in the word "fire" and then seeing what spits out. It's really about talking to the users and saying, "What is my particular take on fire?" That I can present to the users that want to hear it from me. So maybe my take on FIRE is I'm a good I'm good at investments. So then it doesn't matter what the keyword tool says. Write about how people doing fire should do in proper investment. Maybe I'm I'm very cheap. I really know how to like use paper towels until they fall apart in my hand. Well, that's what my users want to know for fire. So like that is the product. And it's great that you're mentioning this because we're a lot of those sites that I mentioned do the wrong SEO. screw up is if they're selling a different kind of product, but then they build a whole blog around content, but that's not how they monetize. It becomes like this parallel funnel, which is I get a bunch of people to find me on search engines and then read my content, but really I sell e-commerce and that bridge never happens. They never go from like reading that content to buying e-commerce. You have to build it one in the same. So it's a part of the funnel. Again, for your listener that might be focused on blogs as content. They're monetizing with advertising and affiliate links more than likely. So as people read, they're part of that funnel. They read the content and then they click an ad or they go over the affiliate. They're not like, oh, wow, this is great reading. Now I need to go buy some stuff from another part of the website. That is the product. The product is the
0: eyeballs. Yeah, the product is the piece of content that you want people to get. And I think people realize like, oh yeah, I just need to get people to the page. Once they're on the page, which is the product, if the product's good, they're gonna consume that product, right? And that's going to be so much better for for your overall SEO profile because you have lower bounce rate, higher time on page, and your metrics just go up, which means you're going to get more of an authority, right? What do you have to say about that?
1: i push back on that a little bit. I do think engagement is a metric, but you have to remember that Google is scientific at heart. So everything that it's doing is algorithmic, and it, they have to use statistical significance. So at a uh, at a site like Amazon or uh, you know Target Target either in America or in Australia, at those kind of large sites, there are enough engagement metrics for them to definitively say, well, this website is better than some other website, or this category is really bad. Amazon's not good at this category. We're not going to show this category as much in search because we know statistically significantly that is not good. But when it comes to a small blog and you've built up authority. They're not going to say, well, it seems to me that your your click-through rate is just too low. It has to be within some sort of deviation of like all the other sites that get that amount of clicks. And again, you have to have a lot of traffic in order to be able to say that. So engagement in that sense might not be good. Now, again, at scale, do people go to your website and bounce right away? Like for every click, that's probably enough data for Google to say, oh, wow, there's something wrong on this website, it's been hacked, maybe we should remove it. But individually, each page, probably doesn't factor that much into it
0: yeah this you've got so much factors with seo right you've got the algorithm that can help you rank and then you've got your competitors that can help you rank or be d and then you've got your what you control uh what you know your content and i was going to ask this later down the line but like what's what's your take on creating con like focusing on content more so or, or your blend of, of content versus competitors versus this piece needs to be for Google. Like, how do you how do you explain that to somebody's like some people? What what we alluded to before is like just using a, a SEO tool and just plugging in some keywords, and they're just trying to use two things, which is basically the competition and Google to get ranked, but they're missing out on the art and the. So, what are you? What's your take on how you would teach um, people to blend that in a way that's positive for their product or goal? I- I would almost
1: say ignore the algorithm. And I blame a lot of people in the SEO industry and I blame the search engines themselves for making SEO too opaque. And for people getting away with saying, oh, it's a black box. I can't really explain how this works. You just have to do it. There are no
0: other answer. Yeah. yeah.
1: There there aren't really other marketing channels that are like this. Where it's just like, oh, it's so black box, you just have to do it. And I can't, but you have these are the directions you have to follow. It's the best practice. And it just is. Other marketing channels. We focus on users. You know that you're not creating stuff just for the algorithm. Like, imagine replacing the word Google with TikTok in this conversation and saying, "How much content should you create for the TikTok algorithm?" It doesn't make any sense. So, let's say you game the TikTok algorithm for a second. Users would say it's terrible, and then the algorithm figures out that's terrible to begin with because it's all about the users. So,
0: in every other channel, users first, right? The the algorithm is based on the users.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Not only are users first, the algorithms are driven by the users. And again, not only are users first, and this is the part, again, people miss with SEO. Users are the ones that pay you. So if you're not creating for the users, but you you figure out how to get algorithmic, algorithmic success. So say you came up with a, a hack where you're going to show up number one for a big term on Google, but you don't offer that product, you can't monetize that. So really by building for the users, you're building for your customer so build for your customer and then follow some best practices to make sure that the algorithms understand it but don't ignore the user and just build for the algorithm
0: yeah i love it i love it so somebody that has a blog and they're thinking all right i want to get rank i want to get traffic from google but they're thinking about it the wrong way they're thinking about how do i game how do i play a game with google and my competitors versus how how do i create the right piece of content for my user what would you say to somebody that's gone that is thinking and listening to this and saying in their own head don't need to create for google or to get play a game against my competitors i just need to create for my user how do they go about working out what content to create do you have a formula do you have an ideology of them maybe you know sitting in the shoes of a persona and taking them through the journey i mean that's something that would just come to my top of my head you know do you have a formula it would beneficial to those people?
1: Yes. So first of all, for those people, um, I, we're going to give them some money for vacation because they can st- likely get rid of their SEO agency and their SEO team.
0: <laughs> How that? so,
1: so, so that? So stop spending that money because for if you just have a blog, there's very unlikely any technical SEO things you need to be doing and focusing on and spending money on. A lot of times SEO agencies might be spitting out like keyword ideas. You don't need that. They're giving you technical audits. Again, assuming most people built on a standard platform, like a WordPress, WordPress is really good for SEO, right? At the corners, there's maybe some problems, but again, good enough for SEO. Wix, you know, Wix is a a, a web hosting platform. They get a lot of flack for SEO issues, but for 95% of use cases, it's good enough. And it's not like you're going to get penalized. There are some platforms that are all JavaScript. That is a problem but WordPress, Wix, Squarespace, they're all good enough. So well, Shopify. Shopify is also good enough. Again, like yeah. assuming you're on any of these platforms, it's good enough. So you no know one needs to give you an SEO audit of like all the things that are broken on the platform. There may be some things that could be better, but those aren't gonna add money into your pocket. Like it, your site might be slightly slow. We could talk about page speed in a second, doesn't matter. It's not gonna add money in your pocket. So you likely don't need to do anything technical. If you've built a custom website, Yeah, make sure that you get it audited and and there's things that you're not missing. But if you're using a a common platform, probably good enough. So now when it comes to content, most small businesses that, or most bloggers that create blogs about content, they're passionate about something. They should write what they're passionate about because they understand their users. So rather than going into a keyword tool and saying, well, uh, what's a word that I have not tackled yet? And I'm just gonna have to write some boring content on it. They walk around looking at the world and get ideas for content they should create and they create it. And if it works, great. If it doesn't work, write more content. So you don't have to like go to this like place where you're now outsourcing a ton of content on Fiverr or Upwork and getting people to create content based on some big list of keywords because you have to. You're creating content you're super passionate about and you can just pick up your phone and to create a Google doc blog post because you're passionate about it. That's where they should start. So if someone creates a blog because they're into fire, I'm sure the blog post can flow off their, their tongues. And, and you know, if they don't work for SEO, they work for social media. If they don't work for SEO. That's potentially something that they send out an email and people are going to click into and engage with. If it doesn't work for any of those channels, then maybe you're not passionate enough and you don't understand your audience enough. But the thing is, again, you're focusing on the user and the search is just gonna be one of those channels that they'll find the content.
0: I love that. That's what we do with our podcast here that we're, and it's very meta, what we're doing right now is we're creating for the user, not optimizing this or, thinking about Google first and how do we fit this piece of content into the form of what Google wants or YouTube or, you know, the podcast algorithm gods. <laughs> uh, it's more about how do we how do we ask the right questions and answer the questions in a way that people can understand and, and have that value for them first. And then if it's value, pe- the people will come, right?
1: Exactly. I mean, th- these are tools like YouTube. There's... I just saw this tat. This that. it was like 500 hours of content uploaded every minute. So you can't watch yeah, YouTube. Yeah. It's not a. It's not something you can do. So the the algorithms are tools to present us with the right stuff, and they're trying to mimic a librarian sitting there curating YouTube for you. The same applies to Netflix. Like it's not possible in your lifetime to watch all of Netflix. So the alg- the Netflix algorithm tries to serve you what you're interested in doing. Even if you do a search, they're trying to show you related things if they don't have it that's what they're there for. So you're creating for the user, the most common user you have, and hopefully the algorithms fill in those gaps.
0: Yeah, I love it, I love it. So think about putting yourself in the persona of the user. And if I was to start a blog from scratch, which I would not do because I'm all about buying a business that's past that 90% failure rate. But if I was to start from scratch, I would then sit myself, say it's fishing, I would sit myself down in like the seat of a saltwater fisherman or fisher person, And then work out what do I need to learn, create all the content for what I need to learn, what's all the gear that I need to get, create all the content for the gear. And then how do I evolve and grow? So like each different phase, would you say that would be a beneficial task to do? Like take it, take your content approach that way?
1: Yes. So there's two ways to do that. One is you find that persona and sit down and talk to them and Mm -hmm. ask them what they're curious about. And the second is to look at online resources. So go to YouTube. Look at what's being created. Look at the questions you have. You watch a video and say, well, how would I do that for fishing? And then create the content with that has the gap that you noticed yourself, not that a tool told you. This set, And then another place you could go is Reddit. Look at like, Reddit is awesome. There are people that write thousand word answers on Reddit and they don't get paid for it. So <laughs> use that, like learn from that and then build content on it. Quora, the same thing. People ask questions and write really long answers, build content there. And then TikTok's another one where, the users are creating this content. Like what did someone create around your vertical that you could just expand upon?
0: Yeah. Expand upon or fill in the gaps. Like you said before, like they've got their take on it here, but where can you change it? And I think about it, like how you're speaking is you're filling in the gaps where a lot of SEOs don't. And you've also got a bit of like a hey, no, this is wrong, a bit of controversy, which I think is really good for engagement and for value for helping people to have not just one opinion and be you know, be with the blinkers on going down one path. I want to talk- it, we, you well, did, it
1: helps for my own business that I, I'm a strategic consultant and I don't get paid for throwing deliverables at people. So yeah, if I got yeah. paid for like producing like audits and content plans, then maybe I would say, everyone needs an audit and a content plan. But my consulting is more geared towards how do you unlock a revenue channel and grow SEO? And if it doesn't, if there is not a revenue channel because there is no SEO user, I can't advise against, you know, someone should do that because I'll never realize that ROI and then they just get annoyed like, well, why would we bother? So the first thing is, is there an SEO user? And for many businesses, there aren't. For B2B, that's not the way people shop on B2B they you know they look for tools they look for specific things but search isn't the biggest driver of discovery for b2b for certainly for anything very innovative search isn't a big driver because it doesn't exist no one knows to look for it so yeah, yeah. there has to be an audience and and that's like each business's is, is own business and its own audience and really figuring out how SEO works for them. So just throwing deliverables because that's the best practice, I don't think is the best thing to do. Like auditing a website when, again, in many cases, the website is probably fine. So it was, again, it's not the best thing to do. So that's where the controversy comes. I'm not trying to just trash the entire SEO industry. So <laughs> many people do such great things. But again, there are some people that just do deliverables for the sake of deliverables and I'm not one of them.
0: Yeah, because that's their product and you need to follow follow the money. Exactly. Yeah, You mentioned site speed before and you said we'd get to that. With site speed, if it's site's not loading as fast, but it's adding value, are you sort of saying that site speed is not something to put time, effort, and energy into? What's your take on that?
1: Everything I do with SEO is takes a logical approach to like how it, it matters in, in Google's eyes. So site speed is one of those things where Google is usually going to use some sort of baseline. And if you're much slower than the baseline, then they may remove you from mobile results only but not you're not getting penalized, you're just being removed from those results. And it, the baseline will vary. So if you're competing against the fastest e-commerce websites in the world, it's possible that for those results, you wouldn't be as visible, again, only on those queries as your very fast competitors. I have never seen that to be the case, but that's more than likely something will happen. Now you have to be much, much slower than the baseline. Should you invest in site speed? I think site speed is so important because most people are on on, on mobile phones. Most people are on varied connections, whether it's slow Wi-Fi or slow mobile broadband. You want your website to load fast. So they when they're trying to load it, it doesn't. they don't just cancel it and go somewhere else. That's why you optimize the site. But to make the page faster and to make the site faster, because Google told you you should, and you think you're going to get a bump in visibility, I wouldn't do that because I don't think you can justify the ROI there. But there was a company I was working with, they had an analytics script that ran on Millions of websites around the world. And one of those big agencies that get paid on deliverables told them that the first six months of their project with them was going to be helping them improve their page speed. And they asked me what I thought. And this is how I won the business. I told them they run an analytics script on millions of websites around the world. They have to be fast. Like that is, that's a core business thing. Are they going, like, if they're slow, they lose business. Or now, if they invested in their case, it would be millions of dollars to make their actual marketing website faster. If they made their marketing website faster because it was already decently fast, I didn't think they would get any ROI from that. So that's the way of approaching it. If you're on a really slow shared hosting server, probably it's not great for users. Should you move it? Yes, because it's better for users. If you move it, will you see more visibility from Google? Very unlikely.
0: Yeah. It's coming back to the first principle of the user, not, the, not Google. Uh, I yeah, I think that's awesome. That's- Here's one that's going to be an interesting one about links. Follow links versus no follow links. I know that this is thinking about Google, but if we were to put ourselves in the in the shoes of the user, where's the value in follow links versus no follow links?
1: I'm going to answer that question in a little bit of an unexpected way. I right. say, I don't know that you even need links. Okay. Links okay. is something that was a very important differentiator for Google 23 years ago, when other search engines existed. And Google used links to understand the relative authority of a piece of content versus another piece of content on another website. And they approached it from a scholarly standpoint, which is, if you're Harvard, then, and you produce some paper on a cure for cancer, and everyone referenced it, it's likely very authoritative. Google doesn't have to know that you're Harvard. They just have to know other people referenced it. If you're not Harvard and no one referenced it, Google doesn't have to know that you're not Harvard. They just have to know no one referenced it, so therefore the content itself, even if it says the same thing as Harvard, is less important. So that's how they brought links in. Now it's 2022, almost 2023. We're so past that. Aside from the fact that there's all this AI Google can do, this this idea of get a link means it's authoritative, also taught everyone they can just buy it. So figure out how to give you a good link and follow versus no follow. Follow versus no follow, I think came out in like 2008. So that's an innovation that came out 14 years ago. Google's well beyond that too. The way Google looks at the web is they look at all sorts of signals. Engagement may be one of them, but they look at all sorts of signals to look at quality. You know, there, all this, con- well, not controversy, but just all the news around AI content. Google can also do reverse AI content. They can look at the quality of the content and say, oh, is this high level? Is this answering the query of the user? For years, Google has had within advanced search results where you could say, I want grade level of the content. I want this to be good for a, you know, a, a primary school student. I want this to be good for like a, an academic researcher. So they already recognize that level of content. So that's always been in the algorithm. And I'm sure now it's far advanced. To answer your question, I don't really think you necessarily need links now. Links are important, but not as important as the quality of the content, the quality of the product. So when it comes to link building, I always recommend that people work with PR agencies, and there's some great PR agencies that I love, and anybody reaches out, I'm happy to point you in the right direction. Where they're great at getting visibility towards the product and towards the website and towards the products that the website has from a link perspective. But if the links don't count, those links are from an from a search standpoint. Those links are still things that people are going to click on and become aware of. One of the things that people got to when it comes to like link building is they create all these worthless websites that no one reads, but somehow have perceived high domain authority. That doesn't help anybody because Google knows no one reads it. They can see that, right? They can look at the level of content. So despite the fact that you think it's a valuable link, Google likely doesn't count it in the algorithm. Now, if you get a link on say a Forbes, which no one will know like how Google values that link because Forbes has been known to possibly have less stringent requirements on getting a link, it doesn't matter. It's still Forbes and you still get to put on your website as recommended by Forbes, or you still get to share that on your social media and say, hey, look out what Forbes said about us. So there's value in getting that link, even if Google doesn't value it. So that's my approach towards link building, which is get publicity, get people to talk about your website and link to your website. You don't know which of those links matter. So don't focus on metrics like demand authority and things like that. Focus on the link and the visibility and the awareness.
0: Awesome. So the...
1: Actually, I can't answer the, the follow versus no follow. Go after the no follow links. (laughs) (laughs) Wikipedia is still no followed. So get a no no follow link from Wikipedia is far better from a traffic standpoint than a followed link from like some website created just for links.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a PBN site or something silly. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The way I think about it, as you've explained this is don't look at a link metric. Look at the authority or perceived authority that a user would have about who Forbes is or who Harvard is and their their overall brand and the feeling that they create in the in the world that somebody looks at like, oh that's Harvard, oh that's Forbes, rather than like the metrics of what It has because the user, I guess, is going to feel a bit better or have more, feel like they've got more, that piece of content that that's linking to has more authority because of the feeling they have, not the metric that they they can see, oh, Forbes must have a high DR. This must be valuable. They're not thinking about that, right? So they're probably going, oh, wow, this is like Stanford, you know, or Harvard said, you know, this is, you know, worth reading. They're going to read it not because because of that because it's Stanford That's or big. Harvard not the not like oh yeah. Stanford's got a dr of like this or Harvard's got a dr of that right
1: yeah and, and and just to like put some you know an example behind this I I spent a lot of my my SEO career at, at SurveyMonkey on three occasions we got links from WhiteHouse.gov they didn't do anything for us actually the first time it kind of did but then it went away as Google advanced so in 2008 we got a link I think it mattered but I don't really know for sure but in 2012 we Got a link, and in 2016, we got a link, it didn't do anything for us at all. And the reason I think that these links didn't do anything is because Google looked at the White House, which had like, I don't know, a DR of 99. It's the White House. And it said, <laughs> The White House has, is not an authority on survey content. This is not where any, this is not an authority on anything. No one's like, I'm going to wake up in the morning and see what sort of press release the White House put out. Let's see what Donald Trump had to say. No one even went there to see what Donald Trump had to say. You went to Twitter, right? So, which has no DR yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the way Google looked at these things. So Google, again, they may say, oh wow, that's a DR 99 doesn't matter, no authority. Or they may look at something and say, that's a DR6, but mm. wow, is that authoritative in the space? That link mm. matters. Mm. We don't know. So since we don't know, let's go with what we do know, which is, what's the brand? What's the visibility of this? What? how many people are likely going to be reading this and clicking and going over. Like one of the things that like websites have done as they try to monetize links is they create so much content, it's impossible for anyone to read. Insider.com became one of those sites. I don't know how valuable a link from insider.com is for anything whatsoever, if no one's gonna read it and Google's going to ignore it. So focus on visibility.
0: Yeah, visibility. Uh, For example, if somebody has a phishing blog, they could go to all these different phishing blogs with high DR. But there might be a fisher person, and I don't know if he's famous over in the states, but was famous over here in Australia. His name is Rex Hunt, very famous fisherman, and uh, was on TV and all this sort of stuff. And probably didn't have the biggest website, but if he, you know, was to link to, say, you know, oh hey, check out this this fishing blog that Jared has, it would have way more perceived authority and value, and people would probably read it longer and put more weight into it because they know Rex as opposed to his, his link. And it's also in that space. People think highly about Forbes or highly about Harvard. It has to be relevant within the niche as well, right?
1: Sort of. What I would say is, yeah. uh, I'll, I'll use Forbes as an example. So there's an agency I know that they they can offer to facilitate someone to get into Forbes. Yep. Let's say that costs, you know just to throw a price on there, I think this is probably more than it would cost, but let's say it costs $3,600. Yeah, American. yeah. Okay, so it's so that's expensive, $3,600 for a single link in Forbes, sounds expensive. Now, what would you pay per month to have the Forbes logo on your website and say, as seen in Forbes? And you could have it for three years. Wouldn't that be worth $100 per month? Yes, right? So that's a better way of looking at and say, this link cost me $3,600. I highly doubt you could ever prove that that single link drove enough SEO visibility if you count it as rankings, which, mm. Again, almost impossible to know. Which then turned into conversion, to well, traffic, and then conversions It'd be almost impossible to know. But if you put the Forbes logo on your website and say, it "said as seen in Forbes," for a mere price of a hundred dollars per month, and let's say you're looking for investment dollars, and you say, "Forbes called us the best website of 2022," and then maybe you're looking for to partners and you're looking for customers, and in your pitch deck you say, "We're the we're a top ranked website according to Forbes." That's a whole different story. $3,600 looks cheap. So that's the way I would really position link building, which is PR building, visibility building, and measure it like that rather than say, well, I got a dr 80 link and oh no, it's lost or oh no, like it's a no follow. Really like you're in that article, even if the link dropped out, the HTML link dropped out, but your name is still in there, you're still using that logo.
0: Yeah, Yeah. it's definitely a really good social proof to use in all even if you're on a sales call or whatnot you know i have an interesting one now that i was speaking to a link builder a couple of episodes ago and we we're talking about spammy links that's why why sites get a lot of spammy links to them and it's just you know because we look at a lot of websites and we see a lot of links like sites that we're looking at buying so many of them have not very valuable links. Do you have an ideology of why so many sites get so many spammy links, like they just acquired just these non-valuable links to them and you you can either go disavow them or not, but do you have any theory on why this would happen?
1: Because I, I, I think that there are people that believe that spammy links are valuable. So they create these websites, which you can buy a link for a PBN, but in order to fake the appropriate, like proper behavior, they're linking out to other websites that don't pay them. What I would say on that is I live in the Bay area and uh, right near the Google campus. And about six times per day, I see a self-driving car created by Google. And because I'm obsessed with these kinds of things and obsessed with Google and AI, I always like to see how the AI works. So the other day, uh, I cut off a, a Google car to see how quickly it would stop. I followed a Google car for like 30 minutes to watch it making left turns, which is really hard. Oh, sorry. You're in Australia.
0: Yeah. So, no, I get it. I've been, I used to live in America as so, well. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I, I don't know. Okay. But for the audience, a left turn on a right side driving country is really hard like, to, to do from an AI standpoint. And in, in a, a left side driving country, a right turn, right? So Long like, because you have to. Long left. It, it's exactly, so you have to think of all the things it has to do, and that's fascinating. So you think about like all those calculations, like, well, is, is that person texting? Are they gonna slow down? But mm-hmm. for me, when I cut off the Google car, Google's gonna have, Google had to decide if they were gonna change lanes, which is really cool. Be like, is this person going so slow that's gonna mess with my driving? Now I need to move over. Like, those are complicated decisions. Now you think like, oh, wow, you have links and it's a DR80 link, and Google's like, oh, wow, I'm just gonna trust the DR80. Wow, this is money, right? I'm <laughs> So the, the, if you think about the AI under the hood, again, self-driving and Google search are totally different animals, obviously, right? But it's in the same building. And if they can drive cars with that level of AI, can't they apply that level of AI to like their core business of like search and all that? And, you know, even on that, SEMrush, I think, has a new tool where you can look at like a, the link profile of a website and see how many bad links there are and see the PBNs. SEMrush invented that. They don't get to see under the hood of the algorithms. If they can if they can do that, Google has algorithms that they probably had for 20 years that can do the exact same thing.
0: So SEMrush, you're saying SEMrush have a tool where you can identify PBN links just quite easily?
1: Yeah, so if you're a human doing a PBN link back, like just finding PBNs, so you look at like a website, you throw it into SEMrush, you throw it into Ahrefs, throw it into Majestic, and it tells you the links that link to that website. Then from there, you check the links of the links and that's how you undo the whole pyramid. So SEMrush just has that tool, which like this website links to that and gets linked from here and gets linked from there and there's your pyramid and they find it. And Google, which probably has the best crawlers in the world and has been obviously been crawling the longest. Like they may not be the best, but they have been doing this thing longer than everyone else. They know. can so see it. I found these results on cool. search. Cool.
0: Yeah, I'll put a link to SEMrush. Um, I'm affiliate of SEMrush just as a disclaimer for everybody. But yeah, check that out in, in SEMrush. That's really cool because I, I have some training on how to identify PBN links for people that are buying sites. I want to shift gears to the future of SEO, talking about how smart Google is and, you know, self-driving car, what they can do under the one roof with a with a full search engine. You know, large one of the largest companies in the world. How do you feel SEO is going to evolve in terms of how we start searching for things and how we start using the internet? Things, the reason I ask this is, is how can people with online businesses prepare and sort of get ready for, some of the cool things that are coming in terms of different types of content we're gonna create, how we can rank that content or how we can interact with sites. I don't know what that could be, you know, talking about metaverse stuff or whatnot, but it's a can of worms to go down, but I'm curious.
1: So I think that the definition of SEO has de- has gone through a transformation. Many people haven't transformed and they haven't progressed. So there are a lot of people doing SEO that are doing SEO the same way they did 20 years ago or at least 10 years ago. Ten, the, Uh, The Google Panda algorithm has been out for more than 10 years. So to do SEO the same way you did 10 years ago makes no sense. So you really have to see like transform the role of SEO, which is optimizing a website for search with search ever changing. It's like saying that car mechanics who fixed cars 30 years ago when they didn't have a ton of technology, they, um, they don't exist anymore and they just can't fix it cars because they only know how to like do spark plugs and and mechanical things but now there's all these electronics so their job has changed so that's the way i see seo is like you will always need someone to optimize websites it's just the rules and the way to do so change as the platform changes so seo of of next year is going to be slightly different because there are improvements in the in the platform like We're gonna see more video show up on search. We're gonna see more interactive content show up in search. We're gonna see Google giving more AI responses, which are like featured snippets or just quick responses. SEO has to optimize for all of those things because that's part of the job, getting more traffic to the website. We're also going to see platforms change. My prediction is in the next few years, we'll see a new search engine other than Google because search is not as hard as it used to be. So it becomes more of a mind share and market share problem and companies like Amazon, a lot of people are always logged in Amazon. So could Amazon start offering search? Very possibly. They have these echo devices, which you already search on. So could they get you to start searching more with on Amazon or echo or maybe in the Amazon app on your phone? Or could Apple launch a search engine? Well, right now Google pays them to get all that traffic from Spotlight, but maybe Apple decides there's more money to be made by building their own search engine and monetizing ads. Will it be as good as Google? probably not Google. Apple Maps isn't as good as Google, but it's good enough, right? Or last one that it could really do this is Facebook. Facebook will obviously go through some sort of pivot as as the meta thing doesn't seem to be working as planned for them. Search is something they can do. They have all these users on facebook.com. They have users on Instagram and they have users on WhatsApp and they have users on like anything else they're going to create could they start getting those users to look for things and then monetize that with the same ads they already have? Very possibly. Again, will it be as good as Google? Probably not. But will it be good enough? Yes. Right? So like there are anywhere from 2 to 10% of people in the world that use Bing.com for search. Their lives aren't markedly different than those other people that use Google. Like they they some of those people even think they're using Google. But regardless, like they find the information they're looking for. So Facebook's search engine will be good enough. So that, that's what I think. Really, the, the job of SEO is to optimize websites for, those ch- for the search channel, regardless of what the platform is.
0: So you're predicting different platforms and then if that's the case what we mentioned at the start of the start of the chat is like just optimize this is where people can really get unstuck right if they've just optimized everything for google and then google goes down the drain and then facebook comes out and that's like they've got nothing optimized for facebook but if they were optimized for the user it's going to be better it's going to be good for any any platform that comes out
1: absolutely even if you're again if your role is bring traffic to websites from search TikTok right now is all video is it possible TikTok could have a text search? Yes, and then what do you do in that case? Their algorithm is going to be different, so like that becomes a challenge. So how do you build for the search channel? The best way to do it in a fragmented search environment build for the user.
0: User first. It's a good way to sign off, Eli. You started a podcast, and I think it launched about a month ago, time of recording. So it's probably a few months in. What's it called? Where can people go to check it out? What's you know what's it called? What's it about?
1: So I launched a podcast with Kevin Indig who is a SEO influencer. We, we have a podcast called the Contrarian Marketing Podcast. He's been I on mean, the show
0: uh, actually as well, yeah. Oh,
1: has yeah. oh, he yeah. really? Okay, yeah. well, so Kevin's, you can link to him in the show notes. Kevin and I launched his podcast, Contrarian Marketing Podcast, where we take different takes on marketing topics. So like a recent one we did was on AI content, whether it's a tool or a toy. We talked about building personal brands. So rather than agreeing on something, we're disagreeing on it to try to really flesh out the topics. I'm loving it because I, I love being a guest on podcast. Thank you, Jared, for having me. This gives me an opportunity to basically be on a podcast every week. So that's great. Uh, other thing I'd also love to share is I did write a book called Product-Led SEO. You, you started at the beginning of the episode with that. For most people listening to this podcast, that could be the only money you ever need to spend on SEO. So it's cheap, right? Go on Amazon, find the cheapest version, buy, buy a used copy. I don't care. I don't make money from it anyways. So buy Buy it and read it and decide that you de- probably don't need to spend as much time, money, and effort on SEO as others might have told you you need to.
0: I love it. I love Guys, it. check all that stuff out in the show notes. There'll be links to book, podcast, all the stuff there. So check it out. Again, Eli, thank you so much for coming on. Everybody that is listening, thank you for listening. If you own a business or you're about to own a business, go back and re listen to this. There's so many golden nuggets in it. Also, If you know somebody that owns an online business, do them a massive favor and share this podcast episode with them. Yes, it helps Eli and I help more people as well, but specifically this is such a valuable episode that they need to get value from as well. Thanks guys, see ya.